I'd like to have you turn in your book, if you would, to the 16th chapter of the book of Luke. The 16th chapter of the book of Luke. Vance Havner said, most Americans live like an ape, playing with matches in a room full of dynamite. Folk are living in darkness. They could have the greatest flashlight that was ever made, and it will not pierce the darkness of men's souls. The Savior of the world has been sung about this morning just wonderfully, time after time. Been a blessing to be here. The 16th chapter of the book of Luke, you know what's in this chapter if you've ever gone to church faithfully. Two men died. One was rich and one was poor. One was a beggar and one was a pretty big shot in town. One went to heaven, one went to hell. You don't go to heaven because you're poor. You don't go to hell because you're rich. You go to hell because you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. In this chapter about this man, and to save a little time, there's a lot of problems involved when folks go to hell. The Bible uses the term in verse 23, torments, plural. Things that they'll see there, things that they'll feel there, things that they'll know there throughout eternity. The flames of hell, the darkness of hell, the loneliness of hell, the horrors of hell by the thousands. But I want to focus just for a few minutes on verse 26. And in reference to the previous things that are said, the Bible said, and beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Now I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning on that great gulf fix. I think one of the problems in our churches, and it's been mentioned a couple of times today in testimonies, folks get used to the gospel to the point that we no longer hear it. Doesn't seem to have an impact on us anymore. Becomes like a ho-hum, another story of the past. My wife and I were married August the 8th, 1970, nearly 49 years ago. When we were married and at the church, we walked down the aisle. My boss was there. I worked in the lumber business. My boss was there. He handed me an envelope. Inside was a check for another week's paid vacation. So we decided let's take two weeks of honeymoon instead of just one. The boss had paid for it. And so we did. About halfway through the uh, second week of our honeymoon, my wife said to me, do you have any idea where we're going to live when this is over? I said, honey, I hadn't really planned that far. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. We bought a little house trailer Moved it to Pontiac, Michigan, where I was getting ready to go to Bible college after graduating from college, state college. And uh, we got that little place, and 
we moved it into a trailer park that most of the other trailers in there, uh, they, were, they were brought over in the ark two by two. <laughs> Old, ancient trailer par- trailers. We bought a brand new one. We didn't have any furniture. We didn't have anything. I didn't have any plans. And we bought it and put it in there. It looked like a diamond in a pig pen. It was right on a highway. There were four lanes this way and four lanes that way. Boy, you could hear those cars. You could hear the squealing of the tires. You could hear the uh, honking of the horn all night long. Never seemed to stop. Didn't bother us newlyweds all that much. But, you know, after a while, we never even heard it. Never even paid any attention to it. We'd go away. We couldn't sleep if we didn't hear cars rolling down the road. We've gotten used to the gospel. It's such an important thing to not get used to. I want to talk about this great golf fix. I want you to think about it in this light, that the golf today is living in your life. It's progressive. It is fluctuating. You're here today. The distance between you and the Savior is not very far. If you're not saved, you've heard a wonderful singing. The Spirit of the Lord is here. He's speaking to your heart already. And sure, you're you're very, very, very close. But you can listen for another 20 minutes or so. I don't like what he said. I don't like the way he said it. I didn't appreciate that. And that gulf in your life between the Savior and you will grow. And one of these days, you'll die without Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it'll be fixed. The gulf will be fixed between you and heaven. You and the Savior, forgiveness will no longer be granted to you. If you're lost, you're heading towards a great golf fix. In an old Reader's Digest story, at the end of the winter of 19 and 12, on the Niagara River, far, far above the falls, I've been to the falls a couple of times. There is a place called the point of no return. If something is placed in there that floats, there is no way you could ever turn it around. It'll go over the great precipice into the riling waters below. It was frozen that winter like it froze this winter. It was frozen over this particular winter in 19 and 12 and Young people were skating, enjoying themselves well above the river. There was one couple that was ice skating and they did not realize it that the piece of ice that they were on had broken off from ice that was affixed to the shore and they started down the river. People recognized their plight. Some went to a bridge. They, they dropped uh, uh, ropes over and harness from horses over to try and save that couple from going over the falls. The first time, the young man, he was able to grasp either a rope or a harness. He tried to save his girlfriend. He could not 
keep his grip on her and on the rope, and so he let go of the rope. To make a long story short, after two other rescue attempts over the falls, they went to their fate. It was fixed. There was no return. They lost their lives. Now I want to say to you this morning, this is not the first time you've been to church. This is not the first time you're going to hear a simple gospel message. God has raced ahead of you time after time to give you an opportunity to come to Christ. He has extended to you. He has embraced you. He has warned you. He has loved you. He has wooed you to come to him. You see, sin is a disposition that must be cleansed. We are all sinners. We don't sin. We don't become sinners by sinning. We sin because we're sinners. Sins are acts which we are responsible for that God and God alone can forgive. Now this gulf between God and man, it started in a garden in a very pristine spot, the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they both sinned and that gulf between God and man widened to the point that without a savior, without a redeemer, there was no help for mankind. It grew in Noah's day. Noah built an ark, you know the story, for the saving of his household. No one else was interested in getting on board. And it was too late one day when the rain began to fall and God slammed the door in the face of all the rest of humanity and just eight people were saved that day. They all made a choice. Noah had invited them to come for decades. He had preached to them. There was an uncrossable chasm outside of the ark of safety. I want to say to you this morning that every step that you take away from Jesus, every step, You take away from forgiveness that widens the gulf, the fixed gulf between you and God. Now, I don't think it's the same man in Luke chapter 10 and Luke chapter 12 and Luke chapter 16, but it's an interesting progression. In Luke chapter 10, there's a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. He gets this close. And the Lord said, well, I want you to sell everything you have and come and follow me. And that was too big of a transaction for him. And he turned. I mean, this close. Oh, just, I mean, face to face. He came and kneeled, a matter of fact, at the Lord's feet. He was right there. But he turned and walked away and that gulf widened. There's a man in that 12th chapter of the book of Luke. He was a wealthy man. 
I mean, he was doing good. The economy was great. We heard a little bit about that in Sunday school this morning. I never put that together like the Sunday school teacher did today. That was good stuff. The economy was going great for this guy. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build greater, not realizing that that night his soul was required of God Almighty. That was the last day on planet Earth for him. Then you have this fellow in the 16th chapter. It's the only eyewitness account we have of hell in all the Bible. This rich man, no hope. It was to the place where it was fixed. It's fixed between him and God's messengers. It's fixed between him and God's word. Now I want to say to you this morning, if your self-sufficiency is so powerful that you think you don't have to be saved, one of these days you will slide down to the pits of hell. It was fixed between him and his family. He, he, he wanted somebody later on in this chapter to go warn his five brothers. But they had Moses and the prophets was the answer. He wanted Lazarus, I think, to go and tell him or he wanted some other dead person to go and tell him, but you can't have some special visitation from God at your recipe. It's at God's recipe. He said, repent and turn from your wicked ways. We have three sons. I took all of our sons to Bible school the first year that they went as freshmen. I took Jordan to a Bible college over in Indiana. He just went there one year and then transferred somewhere else. But I took him and I took my second son down to uh, Knoxville. He went there at that school one year and then went somewhere else. We, I drove him down there. His car broke down. It was a mess. I took my third son out to California where he went to school there and he graduated from there. We were on the airplane flying out there and a man reached across the aisle and he tapped me on the shoulder somewhere in the nighttime. He said, sir, I believe my wife has died. They had all kinds of people. I don't even, I don't know if she did die or not. But people came and administered to her. We had to move. But I took those kids to college. You know, that's a, I don't know, some of you young couples, God bless your heart, I envy you. You ought to keep those kids home as long as you possibly can. Because that family gulf begins to widen. Widen. Oh, they come home for Thanksgiving and then they come home for Christmas the first year. And then the second year, well, I've met some friends and they're a lot closer and I don't have to come all the way home, Dad. I'm going to go to Joe's house. And they do that. And then the third year, I've met a girl and I'm going to go to her house. And then they get married and you never see them again. (laughs) Unless they need money. (laughs) But there's always hope. There's always hope. But in life, yes, there's hope. But in hell, there is none. There's none. In World War II, 16 million American boys and some girls, 16 million men basically went off to war. When a young man went off to war in those days, their family was given a blue flag to put in the window, a blue starred flag. 
Everybody that went by, they knew that there's somebody serving from that home. Whether a father, whether a brother, whether a son, whoever it might have been, somebody was serving from that home. 16 million of them. We're here from the uh, military officials. We regret regret to inform you that your son, your husband, Your father, your brother has died. That message was taken to 405,399 of our soldiers died in World War II. When that happened, a gold-starred flag was put in the window. Everyone knew, everyone knew that someone who had resided in that home, the neighbors knew your dad, the neighbors knew your son, the neighbors knew your brother. They knew, they said, oh no, Joe's gone, Bill's dead. Everyone knew. And there was hope. Those 16 million boys that went off, my father-in-law went to war in December of 1941. He was married November of 1941. He had a son who was nearly four years old that he had never seen when he came back from the war. There's hope. There's hope when they're alive. There's hope for you, sinner. If you're alive today and in this building, there's hope. There's no hope after death. It is appointed unto men once to die and then cometh the judgment. When hope is gone, the gulf is fixed. Fixed. Nearly 31 years ago, we moved from Lansing, Michigan to near Cincinnati, Ohio. 330 miles away from where my wife was born and where I'd grown up. My best friend was a guy I went to high school with. I met, him in kin- I met him in first grade, and he was in kindergarten. We got in a fight the first day we met at the school. We fought, became best of friends for the next 45 years. I led him to the Lord in 1976. I led the lady that he married to the Lord a few years before that. He told me when we... Moved down there. He said, uh, that'll become home to you, Tim. I said, oh, I don't think so. But it has. Sometimes he would just show up at our house. (laughs) Drive 330 miles just to surprise us. Sometimes he'd call and say, let's meet halfway and we'll go to a restaurant and maybe spend the night. And we'd do that. And sometimes we'd go up there and, and we, you know, he, as long as uh, we, we were together and as long as we were alive, we could, we could come right back together as friends. But on Christmas morning, 1999, at 50 years of age, he died. And the gulf is fixed physically between him and I today. But one of these days, I'm saved. He was saved. He's in heaven. I'm going to heaven one of these days. If you're not saved this morning and your loved ones are saved and some may be in heaven, mother might be there, dad, brother, sister, whatever, and you're lost, you die that way, you'll never see them again. The gulf will be fixed 
between you and family. Fixed in hell, you're in trouble. You've got a problem. But I want to say to you this morning, God is more than a match for your problem. The Spirit of God can play the melody of redemption across your soul this morning and you you could be saved and know that heaven is your home. You can know that. You know, some people don't listen. Some people want to live their lives like they're going to live forever on this earth. Not going to happen. I got on a plane in Salt Lake City, uh, Utah, some years ago. And I had seat 8, C, or D, I think D. And a young couple got on the plane and that, they got in seat A and B. And a lady got on after that and she stopped at our aisle. There was no place else to sit. And she said, ma'am, I think you're in my seat. I have 8A. And uh, the lady, she fiddled around in her stuff. She said, no, I, I have. I have 8A. And uh, she said, no, I, I believe I have it. And so they sat someplace else and we got ready to take off and the stewardess said, ladies and gentlemen, this is flight so-and-so to uh, Boise, Idaho. And that lady over there in 8A who was sitting in somebody else's seat, she said, oh, no. No, this is a plane to Pasco, Washington. I said, ma'am, this is not a plane to Pasco, Washington. When you walked here, there was a little Y, and see that plane over there? That's the plane to Pasco, Washington. This plane is going to Boise, Idaho. She was a little embarrassed. She got up, and she got off the plane, went and got on the one to Pasco, I guess. There are people sitting in churches all over this land today and a preacher stands in the pulpit and he preaches the gospel and he tells you how to get to heaven. It's faith in what Jesus Christ did at the cross, emptied the tomb and went to heaven. Well, I don't know if that's true. You know, I think if I just be good and everything will be okay. If I just pay my tithes, if I just go to church, if I, you know, do right about this, that, and the other thing, everything will be okay. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If that lady in 8A would have stayed there, she'd have went to Boise, Idaho. And if you stay the way you are, you're going to die and go to hell. I'm not happy about that. I spent 49 years of my life trying to keep people out of hell. Since 1970, when I started preaching, that is one of the great goals of my life, to keep people out of hell. Boys and girls, men and women, whatever. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. We heard two testimonies, I think, this morning, one by the pastor's wife and one by a man in the back of the choir about made a false profession or thought they were okay. Listen, you can make a thousand professions, but if you never get genuinely born again, you're going to go to hell. You need to be saved. I read a book last year called Under the Flaming Sky, and I'm done. Told about a forest fire in 1894 that came to the state of Minnesota. In that great conflagration, 
Over 400 people died, burnt to death. Many of the people that survived got to safety. They had what we would call PTSD, post-traumatic syndrome. You know what hell is? Hell is the eternal home of post-traumatic syndrome. Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish. Oh, I wish I listened to that preacher. Oh, oh, I wish. Why didn't I heed the call? I had so many chances. Talk about a place of horror. People in those little cities along that railroad track, the trains came, evacuated some. Some of the trains went over the trestles and crashed down below. They came too late. Some got in a lake that was there. Many of them burnt, boiled to death in that lake. Got so hot. They were told to leave. People were warned. They, they could see on the horizon Smoke up thousand feet. They never thought it would come to where they were. They could see that billowing smoke, but in disbelief, they stayed. Too late. Too late for over 400 people. It was the greatest tragedy of the 19th century in regard to a fire. I said this to start the message this morning from Vance Hafner. Most Americans live like an ape playing with matches in a room full of dynamite. You are playing with fire if you're lost. And not, not just a flame, not just, you know, like a candle burning on a birthday cake. You'll be right in the middle of it. You're like that lady in seat 8A. You know, I don't, really, I don't really believe hell's like that. I think hell is just separation from God, and I've been separating from him all, my whole life, so I guess it's not going to matter that much. You, my friend, are a fool. God help you. God help you to realize the seriousness of the hour. You say, I'm young. I'm a young man. I'm 20, I'm 30, I'm 40. I've got two 37-year-old friends that died this year. One a preacher in Alabama. Young people. Young people. Sure, the old people die. We're all, all us old folks. We're going to die. He said, well, that's what I'm going to do, preacher. I'm going I'm to sow my wild oats. I'm going to live like I want to live. And about, you know, the last uh, couple days of my life, I'm going to call on the Lord and I'm going to get saved. You're a fool. You could be in a coma. You could be completely out of your mind. Today is the day. And now is the time of salvation. If you're not saved today, you ought to get saved. If you're not a born-again child of God, you ought to get saved today. Do it today. 
Doesn't matter what anybody else says. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Doesn't matter about what you did as a kid and you know it didn't do anything, just got mom and dad off your back. That's what happened to me. I made a profession of faith to get out of trouble with my father. But it didn't get me out of trouble with my heavenly father. And I'm thankful for the 15th day of March, 1970, about 2.30 in the morning when the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. Been on my trail for about six months, pretty heavy. Walked into the cathedral of my soul. And it's been there ever since. If you're not saved, you ought to get saved. If you're not a Christian, you ought to become one. I've asked this question in this church exactly this way, probably. How many people in this building, I know there's two young men here today, who could say, I came to church lost, heard the message, and I got saved. Would you raise your hand high they can see it? Lots of people, lots of people, majority of people. Bow our head and close our eyes. If I was a sinner sitting here today, lost and knew I was lost, know I'm headed for hell. And I saw about 80% of the people in this room when they were asked the question, how many came to church lost one day and walked out and got saved and 80% of the people raised their hand. If I was the same sensible thinking human being, I'd say, sounds like a pretty good way to get saved to me. Or you could be silly. Well, I want to go to my own church. Your own church hasn't told you the gospel in decades. I, I think I'll do it at home like you did, Brother Green. You may not get home this afternoon. You don't know. You don't know. I travel these roads, drive to some meetings that are within a couple, 300 miles. I've seen bodies strewn in the highways. I've held people in my arms that died in car wrecks trying to scare me. Not a bit. I just want you to think seriously about your spiritual condition and about where you're going to spend eternity. Is anybody here this morning, you're not saved, you know you're not saved? You say, Brother Green, I'd like to get it settled today. Would you raise your hand high like I could see it? Anybody like that? Man or woman, boy or girl, teenager. I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. But I'd like to get it settled. I'll ask you this question. Is anybody here today that's saved and say, by uplifted hand, Brother Green, I'm sorry I got saved. It's probably the dumbest thing I ever did in my life. Would you raise your hand? Nobody would ever respond to that positively. Is anybody here today be brazen enough and fool enough to say, Preacher, I'm lost and I don't care and I'm going to stay that way and I'm going to go to hell. You're going to throw that in the face of God? The loving God that sent His Son to bleed and die on Calvary for you, for you, for me, and all seven plus billions of people on this planet today. He paid your sin debt Jesus Christ bore in his own body your sin and my sin on the cross. Died for you. You're not a Christian, you ought to become one. 
If you're saved and you got lost loved ones in this building, you ought to beg them to come to this altar and get saved. You ought to plead with them to come to this altar and get saved today.